Christmas for a minute, um, we have some traditions in our culture and in, in many cultures around the world that we can understand often how somebody maybe celebrates Christmas apart from Christ, right? We can see that. We can see there's Saint Nick and Santa Claus and traditions of, uh, of those who went around and gave gifts and uh, and so you, there's, throughout the culture, you have this. And even in, in America today, the culture is leaning more towards the celebration of Christmas around kind of this, this gift-giving of Santa Claus uh, and, and focusing on the season rather than on the, the real meaning of Christmas. Um, the truth is that Easter was kind of confusing to me. Because as I started to think about that, I'm like, what does the culture actually think of Easter? Um, what reasons, apart from the resurrection of Christ, exist besides an Easter bunny and Easter eggs? Why do we celebrate Easter? And so, it was interesting as I was thinking through that, that uh, unlike Christmas, which has Santa Claus and kind of that has a, a season of, of giving and cheerfulness and, and joy that has been kind of attached to this, Easter, apart from Jesus, is an Easter bunny and Easter eggs. That's what it is. And so, as I was looking through this, I came across an article in the Huffington Post by Isabel Poole, and it was titled, How to Explain Easter to Your Kids if You're Not Religious. And there were some positive things, actually, in the article, which was, this is actually an opportunity to share with your children what other people believe, um, which I thought was profound that they actually shared that. The problem with it is, is that for many, they don't really know about Easter. They don't really know what the real reason is for Easter. And more and more, that's not necessarily a fault of the culture. It's actually something in the church that we have to do a better job of. That we have to share with people that the reason for Easter is really about the resurrection of Jesus. These other things can be um, fun and, and be a part of that. But we need to know that the real reason that we gather on Easter is because of the resurrection of Jesus. But Isabel Poo, in her article, quoted one expert, and one of these experts simply said this, Just as seasons change throughout the year, Easter is about the seasons of our lives changing. That there is hope for a future, especially after a difficult struggle. Now, I'm not sure where that came from. I have no idea where that came from. But there has to be an applied meaning to Easter in the culture if it's apart from Jesus. And so, the reality is the truth of Easter is not about seasons of change throughout the year. But rather, it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, that's what we're celebrating, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Easter eggs have different meanings. They speak of the birth of life and the resurrection brings new life. It's a birth of new life in Jesus. But our focus today on Easter is around the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're able to do today as we're gathered together is to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, this morning we're going to continue to look at Acts, and this will be our our final time in Acts for some time. But we're going to finish out Acts 10. And Acts 10 is perfect for this morning. And 
The reality is we're going to look at the gospel that God has performed, the good news that God has performed through His Son. You see, God desires us to experience His salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and celebrate the unity that we have with Him through His resurrection. So this morning, one of the things that we do as a church, if you're visiting with us, if you're guests with us, we stand and just as we as we read Scripture. It's just a way of, of honoring uh, God's Word. And so let's go ahead and stand together. And uh, we're going to read this passage together. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 48. You can follow along if you have a Bible. There are Bibles in the back if you want to grab one. You can follow up on the screens as well, and we'll have it up there. It says this, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who are witnesses. He goes on and says, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers who were among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing him speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come and that we can look at your word this morning. Thank you that we can be challenged in your word. Father, I pray this morning that if We've never heard about who this Jesus is, or we haven't heard much. I pray this morning that our hearts will be open to receiving your word to us. For those who know the gospel and have responded to the gospel, I pray this morning that our hearts remove with thankfulness and joy and encouragement as we see the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. Lord God, may it be you who moves and speaks this morning. Father, may we approach you this morning with humility. May we hear from you with humility. God, may we speak with humility. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Believing in God's gospel through Christ leads to salvation, bringing fellowship with His Spirit and His church, 
Believing in God's gospel through Christ leads to salvation, bringing fellowship with his spirit and his church. The gospel leading to salvation and fellowship. God's gospel leading to salvation and fellowship. A common question that's asked is, how does a person experience salvation? How does a person have a relationship with God? How does a person enter into heaven? The truth is, is that that's a question that's really being answered in this passage. See, within our culture, within our relationships, even maybe ourselves, we know people or we are a person who thinks about the fact that being in a relationship with God for eternity begins with our goodness. It starts with being a good person or being sincere. But we're not totally sure. If you ask somebody what it really means to, to have salvation, to be saved, to walk with Christ, to walk with God, to be present with God after death, how much surety, how much confidence do you have that that's where you land? We were talking with some people, and one of them would say to me, well, I surely know I'm going to hell, because you don't know what I've done. Talked to another person saying, well, I hope I go to heaven, but I'm not sure what I've done. The truth is, is that Christ came so that we might have a confidence of the, the salvation that we have in God. The salvation that we have through Jesus. God didn't want us hanging out there looking at it saying, gosh, is there, is there this point over here where we're just kind of floundering and we're just living as if maybe or not? It would be in the presence of God. He wanted us to live with joy, and he wanted us to live in his peace. See, there's no peace when there's no confidence. There's just a hope that in some way we might be found worthy of heaven. However, God's salvation is not based upon our works. It's based upon Christ. And so Cornelius, who we looked at a little bit last week, who's a Gentile centurion, as verse 2 says, was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously, or gave charity to the people, and prayed continually to God. This was a fairly good guy. We would look at him and say, this is a good guy. And yet, an angel of God appears and tells him in verse 4 that his prayer has been heard and to go and find Peter. And so, the Apostle Peter comes to Cornelius' house, and in verse 33, Cornelius says, Now therefore we all are here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius knew that there was something more. There was something more than, hey, it's just about me being a good person. <coughs> in fact, Cornelius actually feared God and did good things. He had a sense of awe for God and he, he respected God, and he did good things. And yet there was no peace about his salvation. See, Cornelius was a Gentile, and the gospel, the good news of Jesus, had gone out to the Jews 
But the truth was that in the eyes of Cornelius, the only way to a relationship with God was, was through the Jews. Cornelius was a Gentile. He wasn't circumcised, the Jews were required to be. He wasn't able to participate in the sacrifices. And he wasn't able to participate in the rituals of the synagogue. And so you can imagine for a moment <clears throat> that he felt like he was on the outside looking in. That this, this God was unattainable, that he was at a distance, and there was no way to get right for him, with him. There was no way to have a relationship with God as much as he, he feared him and had a sense of awe towards him, and as much as he was doing good works, there was just no sense of God's presence. <clears throat> See, God desires that we have confidence. <clears throat> And without that confidence, there's no peace. There's no peace. And so Peter deals with this fear immediately. He deals with Cornelius immediately. This is what he says at the beginning of our passage, which we just read in verse 34 through 35. He says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now we mentioned that up to this point, the only way to God had been through the Jews. And Cornelius, who feared God but had not been circumcised or allowed to participate in synagogues, was probably feeling hopeless. He was feeling as if there was no way for him. I wonder how many have felt that way. A hopelessness, not knowing really what the answer is, or where to go with Christ, what to do, how to have this relationship with God. And so Peter addresses this, and he addresses his own initial prejudice, and he says that he now understands that in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable. Now this phrase, does what is right, literally means works of righteousness. So anyone who fears God and, and does works of righteousness is acceptable to him. The emphasis for salvation is not based upon the nationality or the ritual, but it's based upon righteousness. It's based upon righteousness. All of a sudden, Peter has this kind of moment where he, he's looking at it going, listen, I see that this, <clears throat> this gospel goes out to everyone. In fact, in 2 Chronicles 2.19, it affirms this when it says, Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice or no unrighteousness with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. The same God who of the Old Testament was impartial as well. And so for Cornelius and his household, they're probably thinking, so you say I have a chance. Right? <laughs> so you say I have a chance. This is good news. This is good news. 
Because Cornelius over here at one point is thinking, I have no idea. There's no way for me to have a relationship with God. A few years back, I was doing a memorial service. And this memorial service, what I didn't know was that the memorial service was going to be for a member of a biker gang that had died. I knew the person had died, and I knew that they were a part of a biker group, but I had absolutely no idea that it was a biker gang. So I showed up at this this uh, this grave site in Sebastopol, and I roll in, and as I roll in, there's a group of people that are waiting for me when I get there. And so when I get there, these six men come up to me, and they go, hey, just want to let you know, um, if anything goes down, we got your back. <laughs> now, dumb me and naive me to certain things was like, oh, these guys are just talking garbage. Like, okay, so I just kind of put on a smile, like, no problem. <laughs> got it. Cool. And so walked up, and about three other guys came over and said, hey, we're just making sure you're okay. Just know that if another biker group rolls up, we got your back. So at that point, I began to take it a little more serious. <laughs> and so I said, what are we talking about? What are we, are we talking like, you know, you guys are going to, like, these guys are going to show up and you guys are yelling at each other? Or are you guys, like, violent? Now, I had no idea who the group was, and I won't say who it was, until, as I began talking with them further, decided I better ask the question as to who they were with. So I knew who to be with. Because <laughs> I had absolutely no idea. And so I got out there, and I will tell you that in those few minutes, it's probably the fastest memorial service I've ever done. <laughs> it was, I'm not kidding, it was probably 10 minutes or less. It was by there, it was like, get in, get out, let me share the gospel here and be done. And it was quick and there. And as I get done, this one man comes up to me. And he was, uh, I don't even know how to categorize him in, in, a, in a biker group. I don't know if they call him lieutenants or, or where his ranking. He was a fairly high-ranking biker in this group. And he's weeping. He's sobbing. And he came up and he, he asked me a question. He's like, there's no way that this God can love me. I'm a bad, bad man. And he said, you, you don't have any idea of the things that I've done to others. And I remember sharing with him, hey man, that's what God's grace is for. And this is a God because it's God's work, it's Christ's work that does the work on the cross. That there is hope. And I remember him crying. He came up and we stood over in the corner and his buddy started coming up. And the first thing he did was cover his face with tears. And he looked at me and he said, okay, we'll talk later, man. <laughs> and he turned around and he walked away. This man has been on my heart for years. Because in that moment, there was a breaking of his spirit that knew the truth of the gospel and desired a relationship with God. 
to believe that the work was up to him and not up to God. The beauty of this is that Cornelius is somewhat in that same place. He's a good man, but he's feeling the same way. And so, there's finally some hope. And so in verse 36, it says this, Peter says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Now this word is logos in Greek, and it refers to the message that's preached or spoken. In essence, it's the gospel. And so Peter says that God sent his gospel, his good news of peace through Jesus Christ to Israel. That Jesus is the one that was appointed as the Messiah to come and save the world. Then he says this. He says this, Jesus Christ. And you can see Peter for a moment step back and he says, He's Lord of all. So this gospel that first went to Israel, well, guess what? He's Lord of all. And if he's Lord of all, the same gospel that was good enough for Israel, the same gospel is good enough for every single one of us. Because he's Lord over all. That one statement, Peter simply says this, salvation is available to all. Salvation is available to all, regardless of your past, regardless, truthfully, of your present. But salvation is available to all. And see, apart from Jesus, there is no peace because we're at war with God. Our flesh is at war with God. Romans 8, 6-7 says, For to set the mind of the flesh is death. But to set the mind of the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here's what he's saying is, if you're trying to do this on your own, if it's about God's work, guess what? You're actually hostile to God. And so Cornelius, in this one moment, who's this centurion, all of a sudden has hope of you're saying I have a chance, and then kind of going, wait a second. If my flesh, if my life is hostile to God, how in the world can I possibly live righteously? If our flesh is hostile to God, how can we have the righteousness of God? This biker knew that his life was unrighteous. I think for many of us, we need that same awareness that our lives are righteous. For those of us who have believed on Christ, I want to challenge you. Do you really see the sin is the same? The one who was murdered and taken the life of another. The sin that seems so trivial and yet remember that we too have taken the life of Jesus. That because of our sin, Jesus had to go to the cross. Boy, it becomes the great equalizer. Sin is sin. And all sin leads to death. 
So Peter continues in verse 37. He says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. So he says right to Cornelius, listen, I'm going to actually tell you about who this Jesus is, who this gospel is through. And by the way, not only am I going to tell you who this Jesus is, but you know some of it is true. The beauty that Peter shares here is that there are eyewitnesses account of who Jesus is. That all throughout the region, they had heard, Cornelius had even heard in Caesarea, the work that Jesus had done. It's amazing. There were eyewitness accounts to Jesus' death and resurrection. Have you ever wondered why our dating system is the way it is? Because there were eyewitnesses to the account of his death and resurrection. The truth is that we need to understand this gospel and understand that it's not some made-up fictional story, but it was affirmed and confirmed by the Holy Spirit and affirmed and confirmed by eyewitnesses. And so the peacemaking truth of God's gospel or good news has really kind of three elements to it. The first is this, that it centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And verse 38 says this, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. It was God's work. Why? Because Jesus was the Messiah that God provided. In Mark 1, 9-10, it says that the heavens opened as Jesus was being baptized, and the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And this is what God said as the Spirit came upon Jesus. He said this. He said, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. Now, Jesus affirms Jesus is affirmed as God's Son. And this marks the beginning of Christ's ministry. Now, Jesus had always had the Holy Spirit with him, but the truth is that he's now empowered specifically for the work which the Father has called him to do through the Spirit. You see, Jesus had two natures. He was both God and man. He had a divine nature and a perfect human nature. He was 100% God and 100% man, the same way that we today are 100% soul and 100% man, are human. As a part of that, although he's Emmanuel, which means God with us, Christ came to be a servant and to die for our sins. That's what he came to do. He came to die for our sins. And in order to be an acceptable sacrifice to God, he had to obey God perfectly as a man. And this meant that he had to lay aside his glory and his power and come down and obey God as a man. And so the Holy Spirit is given as a source of power. Philippians 2, 5-8 says this. And I love this passage because it ties right back in to what we're speaking about. It speaks about the power that is garnered through the Holy Spirit. This is what it says. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus goes to sacrifice, but he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's affirmed as God's Messiah and a servant. Notice the second thing that we see here in Acts. Jesus, that God has brought him to this place where he's anointed him, where the Spirit is upon him and doing the work, and that God is with him. And then it says, immediately following that, that not only was God with them, it says, and we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. So Jesus went to his death on the cross. He died. He died for our sin. See, there had to be a sacrifice that was given for our sin. As sinners, we were worthy of death. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one exception to that. And as a result of that, that sin, that wage of that sin is death. We, we sung about that a few minutes ago. And because the wage of that sin is death, the truth is that price, that wage, had to be paid. And so Jesus goes to the cross, and on the cross, he takes the weight of our sin, all of it. He goes as the perfect sacrifice, and God lays all of his wrath, all of the wrath for that sin, upon Jesus. And he dies on the cross for our sin. Are we seeing now that this isn't about our salvation, that there's no possible way that it's about works? That Jesus is doing this work on our behalf? Deuteronomy 21-23 foretells this cross-like experience. And it says this about the cross. says, his body shall not remain all night on a tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. A hanged man is cursed by God. There was a reason Jesus went to the cross. Because the curse of sin had been placed upon him. 1 Peter 2.24 And I want to encourage you to write this passage down. 1 Peter 2.24 says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. He went to the cross that we might have life with Christ. And he went to the cross as God's Messiah. 
We have this picture from time to time that God is distant and he's far away. And what we're beginning to see is that we have a God who is near to us for Jesus. And then we see in verse 41 that this just wasn't a memorial service. This was a resurrection service. It says, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So the work of Christ, he's been anointed by the Spirit doing the work and power of Christ. He dies on the cross, and then he rises again as God raises him from the dead. Romans 6 as this. Romans 6 9 through 11 says this. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, and once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. When Jesus rises again, he overcomes the power of death. He overcomes the consequence of sin. And the best part about this is the apostles are telling that they sat and they ate with Jesus. Why was that important? Because here's what they were saying. This was not just the resurrection of a spirit. Jesus was not a ghost. Jesus came back glorified in human form. Glorified, meaning complete and when he came back he still ate with them and they were able to touch him and see him and he was alive he was alive and not only he's alive but he is alive he is alive today and so we see that in this work In the gospel of peace, that it's sinners are the person who works with who Jesus is. It does not center on us. There's no possible way that we can make ourselves righteous before a holy God. The only way that that can occur is the way that God did it, which is for Jesus to go as a perfect sacrifice, dying and experiencing the wrath of God at our expense. At our expense. See, Christ is the one doing the work of salvation, not us. Christ is the deliverer. When God speaks of delivering us, he means it. He isn't saying, hey, Rick needs to figure out how to do this on his own. He isn't saying Robin needs to do this on her own. He's saying, I've already done the work. It is finished. Now you come to me. You come to me. Notice what it says then. It goes on and it says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. When Jesus rises again, he overcomes death. He becomes the judge of the living and the dead. And the point here is that every single one of us 
will be judged. The point is the truth of Christ, that a belief in Christ acknowledges that Jesus is the judge. He's the one that says you're either innocent or guilty. He's the one that's saying, listen, you walked in sin without being cleansed, or by the way, no, you've been cleansed, and you have new life. Well, if Jesus does that on the cross, and salvation is a work of Jesus, how do we then experience this salvation? Well, Peter tells us, as he's speaking to Cornelius and his family, he says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins, through his name. Through his name. The point is this. That salvation is applied through repentance and faith in Christ. Salvation is applied through repentance and faith in Christ. My response to the gospel is one of repentance and faith in Christ. See, Romans 1, 3-4 says this. It says, Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. See, through the work of the cross, God's offered us this grace, this thing that we didn't deserve. God said, listen, I've taken the weight of your sin on the cross, and now you need to believe in me. You need to repent of your sin, acknowledge that I am Lord, that I am the judge of both the living and the dead. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Turn from that sin and believe in me. Everything. That I was proved by God. That I died and took the weight of that sin and I rose again defeating the power of that sin. When we're believing in Jesus, that's what we're believing in, is that he is the judge over the living and the dead. That he is Lord over all. And we are saying, my desire is no longer to follow the flesh. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, and my desire is to follow you, Lord, because I believe that you did die and rise again. And I desire you to be Lord of my life. See, that's at the heart of the gospel. And so God's grace, this work on the cross, is then applied to us through repentance and faith. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, is a wonderful verse, and I want to encourage you to write it down. It simply says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace goes completely against works. It's saying, this is something that I'm giving you that you don't deserve. You don't deserve this. 
What you deserve was God's wrath because of sin. And what I'm giving you is life because of my love for you and the work of the cross. And it's applied through repentance and faith. And so then the final truth that we see here of this peacemaking gospel, the first being that it's centered on the person and work of Jesus, the second is that it's being applied through repentance and faith once and for all. Third is that it unifies with the Spirit and all believers. We have unity with the Spirit. There's a fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Notice, notice what happens here. And I love this passage because as they're speaking, as Peter is speaking, it says simply this. It says, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Best part of this is as they're talking, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now the Holy Spirit comes as a confirmation of their belief and seals them. Ephesians tells us in Ephesians 1.13, that we are granted the Holy Spirit upon the basis of our salvation when we come so that we might be sealed by His Spirit. It simply said this, In Him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Here's what's saying. When we believe on Christ, God grants us, He gives us another gift, which is His Spirit, who empowers us to live righteously. Cornelius, who's standing back going, yeah, I have a chance, but I, don't, I know I'm not righteous. There's no way I can live this way. All of a sudden, receives the Holy Spirit. And now, because it is Christ who is living within us, because we now have had His righteousness given to us, the Holy Spirit is at work within us, allowing us to grow and walk in obedience. The freedom that we have in the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. When a person comes to Christ and the Spirit comes upon their life, overnight they will have differing desires. I remember talking with a man who was a drug dealer out on Santa Rosa Avenue. And he said it was the craziest thing. He said, I sold drugs for years in the street, and in one night, I went from selling drugs to the very next day. Walking with a Bible in my hand. Sharing the gospel. That man sits among us today. Hallelujah. As a part of this body. Why? Because God in an instant with the power of the Spirit changed the desire of his heart. As soon as he gave his life to Jesus, God gave him a new heart. He became a new creation in Christ. It doesn't mean things go perfectly. It does mean that all of a sudden our desires begin to change. Because now it's the Christ that works spirit at work within us. And we have this nearness and closeness to God because His Spirit dwells within us. 
This God who seems so distant and far away is now here with us. I was challenged in my own life, being in the hospital sometimes at different points, going, God, where are you right now? And it was amazing how when I asked that question immediately, it was like, I'm right here. <laughs> I'm right here. I need to be reminded of that. The second thing that happens in this is not only does he give us unity with the Spirit, and the Spirit showed their, their full acceptance into the community of those who follow Jesus, but then Peter says, can anyone withhold water to baptize these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. The same Spirit that fell upon us is the one that just fell upon them. And they need to be baptized. They need to identify with us as one. And so those Gentiles partake in baptism. And they are identified no longer as individuals, but as the body of Christ as one. They have fellowship with others. There's a unity that comes from having fellowship with others. Romans 6.4 adds this one thing. And it simply says this. Speaking of baptism, it says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Baptism doesn't save Notice that the Spirit came first. And then they respond in baptism, identifying with the body of Christ that they too have believed on Christ for their salvation. Matt Chandler says this. He says, We each may be saved as an individual life, but we are not saved to an individual life. We stand as part of God's restoring of all things, and we are brought into the missional witness to God's restorative gospel, the body of Christ. When you and I are reconciled by Jesus to God, we are brought into the covenant community of faith. We are brought into the church universal. We are members of, as the scripture calls us, the body of Christ. There's a unity with that. This morning, as we look at this passage and we take time, my challenge for you is this. If you're hearing the gospel and you've never responded to the gospel, I want to encourage you today to think strongly about the work of Christ, the salvation that is offered through His grace, through faith, and the unity that you can have with God Himself and His body by responding in humility confessing that sin and believing on Jesus. For those who have responded to Jesus Christ, my hope is that you see that the fellowship that you have with the Spirit and the fellowship that you have with the body of Christ was granted to you through the work of the cross. And it's through the work of the cross that we experience the power of God at work within our lives so that He might be glorified.
May it be a place of rejoicing for us. As we celebrate the resurrection, knowing that God is no longer out here, but He is here. And He is here because of the work of the cross. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you that we can come before you with boldness. Thank you, God, for the gospel that you have for us. Father, thank you for the work of your Son, Jesus. Lord God, as we sing this last song, may we leave excited about your resurrection, knowing that you have risen, that you have overcome death, that you have overcome sin, Hallelujah. and that your desire is that we might believe on you. Father, thank you for your risen Son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your work on the cross. Lord God, may you be glorified today when we ask you.